Well, good morning. I am so glad to be back with you guys this morning. My name is Rick Smith, and I work here at Watermark. Um, part of my job at well, my job at Watermark, my my title, if I was to give you a business card, is. Um, uh, I work with digital ministry, basically. And what that means is I get a chance to work with um, everything sort of that we do online to connect with people, to engage with people. Um, I'm not a marketer, so I don't view that as a marketing job. You know, my goal is to connect with people online, engage them, connect with them, help them get plugged into the body here. And so things that we create. So if you watch Real Truth real quick, uh, if you send a Facebook message in, I'm the guy that replies to you. If you tweet us, I'm the guy that replies back to you. And our goal is to always get you in person, to get you offline to on, or online to offline. We want to help you get uh, plugged in. And so it's kind of cool how God works in our story and sort of weaves things together uh, to put our story together. And so it's really cool that I get to work with social media every day uh, because I've always been a fan of social media. Now, let me ask a question. You guys look real tech savvy. How many of you are really into social? How many of you have a Twitter account? Wow. Awesome. How many of you are on Facebook? Okay. 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 Cool. How many of you guys are on um, Tinder? Trick question. All right. Good. (laughs) Don't, don't Google that. So, um, so I, I've always been into social media. Now, my very, very first dip into social media, maybe you guys know about this, came with these little discs that came in the mail right here, America Online. These things were like crack, okay? They would send you these, and it would, they, would, they would like give you little gateways, right? They would say, hey, you know, one free hour, and you put the disc in, and it was like the first time chat rooms were available. And this was before chat rooms were creepy and weird, and people were sending pictures of things to each other, okay? Like people would go, hey, where are you from? I'm from Minnesota. Wow, where is Minnesota? That's in America. Wow, that's amazing. You know, like people just did it. And so then they would start, so I, I have no idea how America Online stayed in business because they went from that to sending those CDs. And I feel like I got a CD in my, my mailbox like every day. And it was like one hour, two hours, three hours, a hundred free, one million free hours of AOL time. So that was sort of my first dip into connecting with people online. Then there was the major upgrade. This was, we took it up a whole nother notch in MySpace came along. How many of you guys, that's Tom, how many of you guys had a MySpace page? Wow, how many of you guys have no idea what MySpace is? Okay, cool. So MySpace was like, kind of like the first Facebook, all right? You could, you could um, make friends. We're going to talk about that. You could make friends. And there was this weird section. So this was like a MySpace page. This is what it looked like um, in, in the late 90s. And what you could do, there was like this weird section on there where you could have your top eight friends. So on the left-hand side of the page, you could say, these are my eight favorite friends. And so it, made, it was really awkward for the other friends that you had that didn't get a chance to make it on your top eight friends. Like, hey, why can I be a top eight friend? Well, you're, you're number nine, okay? Like if there was nine spaces, you'd be the next one. So MySpace, and, and MySpace taught me something. MySpace was sort of the first time I began to learn how to create fake friendships, right? These were people that knew my name and my favorite band, but they knew nothing else about me, all right? MySpace was sort of the, the, the first opportunity that I had to learn to create superficial relationships, okay? And, and that would stay with me for a long time because I, I, I took it from um, MySpace and then I got a job in the corporate world. And just like MySpace, I had all of these friends. I think I had, this is not to brag, right? I had like 3,000 MySpace friends, okay? This way. But none of those people knew anything more about me than my favorite band, my favorite color, and that I like to watch the X-Files, okay? That's like all that those people knew about. And X-Files is coming back, by the way. So there you go. So, um, 
And so that, that was sort of the first opportunity that I had in my life to make fake friendships. And that followed me into the corporate world. And in the corporate world, I had another chance to make superficial relationships. I would work with people and we'd be in cubicles and, and you'd say, hey, how you doing? I'm doing really great. They knew your name. They didn't really know much about you other than, you know, what you did for work, right? And so you begin to have these superficial work relationships and I begin to climb the corporate ladder. And as you climb a corporate ladder, you step on the heads of the people below you and you just want to get your way up the ladder. And then I not just built superficial relationships. I learned about a little thing called envy. I was a young guy and I go, man, I want to have what these guys have. I would see my boss driving a Range Rover and I go, man, that guy seems really happy. He has a really awesome Range Rover. And then he would invite us over to his apartment in Addison for drinks. I was like, man, this guy has granite countertops. I'm living in this $400 a month apartment. This guy has granite countertops in his his 40s. Man, I, I want granite countertops. I want a Range Rover. And then he he would invite us to happy hour and he would pay for all of the drinks. I was like, man, that is awesome. I want to pay for everybody's drinks. And then he had a tag watch. I, I want a tag watch. I want a Range Rover and a tag watch. And I want a whole bunch of girlfriends like this guy has. And he seemed really happy at 40 years old to not be married, no kids, living it up, going to strip clubs, drinking, and then paying for everyone. And I was taking the benefits. I was like, man, I, I want to be you. And for, I want to be 40 and be you. That would be awesome. And so I began to do whatever I could do to do that. I wanted that. I wanted to be the guys that I worked with in the corporate world. And, and I would watch him and, I, and he was the life of the party. I remember my boy, he was the life of the party. And so I began to do whatever I could do to do that. And my life was in rebellion to God. There was no care of God. And my life began to spin out of control. And I had no one in my life who really knew me. I had 3,000 MySpace friends and a bunch of people in an office that knew my name and that I liked to drink Crown and Coke. But that was about it. And eventually my life spun out of control and, and, and I ended up getting arrested. And, and I was sitting in a jail cell. This is no joke. Sitting in a jail cell. And I thought, man, I, I'll just get bailed out. And I start calling people. And all of these people that would go out and drink with me, no one would bail me out. All of a sudden, they were really busy. All of a sudden, they wouldn't answer the, take the collect call. And I remember feeling really lonely and isolated, sitting in a jail cell going, man, how did my life spin this much out of control? Where did it go wrong? This isn't what I thought life was going to be like. You know, I I even begin to wonder, like, am I even going to be able to untangle the mess that I've made of my life? You know, you may have never been in a prison cell. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But maybe you have another kind of prison cell. Maybe you were like me and your life's been out of control. And there's no one that you can raise your hand to and say, will you help me? And so for you this morning, maybe your prison cell isn't a literal prison cell. Maybe your prison cell is a porn addiction. And you go, man, if anybody knows of this about me, my life's going to crumble. And I have no one that I can raise my hand to and say, will you help me out of this hellhole? Maybe for you, it's alcoholism. Maybe it's a gambling addiction. Maybe it's an affair that you have and you've never told anyone. And you go, man, if I tell someone this, my life and my reputation is destroyed. And you're in that prison today. That's your story today. Maybe for you, it's shame. Maybe for you, it's guilt. Maybe you go, man, I I thought I was going to be, I'm embarrassed because I thought I was going to be closer to my kids than I am today. I I always said I'd be the kind of dad that's really close with his kids and I've let business creep in and I don't even know my kids. Maybe that's your story today and you're in a prison. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning. If you feel trapped, 
if you feel like you're in a prison, if you feel alone, man, I'm glad that you're here. If you're here this morning, you go, man, my life is 110%. I, 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 like, you might just check out this morning, but I wanna talk to people today that you go, man, I'm trapped. I feel like I'm in this prison. I feel like there's not any way out. And I'm, today what we're gonna look at real quickly is this, we're gonna see that loneliness affects everyone. Loneliness affects everyone. We're gonna see three tactics that Satan would use in our life to keep us lonely. And then ultimately we're gonna see as we close up, God's cure for loneliness. God's cure for loneliness. If you have your Bible, would you open it up with me to Ecclesiastes 4? And we're gonna see this first point that loneliness affects everybody. Loneliness affects everybody. And you guys already know we're talking about Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived. We already said the last couple of weeks that he had more money, more fame, more prestige. And at the end of all that, at the end of making it to the highest corporate ladder in Israel, he goes, man, this is emptiness. This is vanity. There's no life here. And so he's looking for life like you and I are constantly looking for life. Look with me at verse one, chapter four, verse one. He said, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. They were lonely. And then on the other side, I saw their oppressors. There was power, and there was no one to comfort them, and they were lonely. See, it doesn't matter if you're the most powerful person in the room or you're the most powerless person in the room. When you are lonely, it is sad. When you are isolated, it is sad, and isolation can affect Everyone, loneliness is universal. You can be the richest person here this morning and be lonely. You can have thousands of friends on Facebook and be lonely. You can have your name on the side of the building that you work at and be lonely. You can have the coolest cars, the nicest toys, the biggest house in park cities and be incredibly lonely and isolated. I was just in New York visiting my brother and I was talking to my friends there that have these, what I would think 10, 15 years ago were the coolest jobs in the world. They're telling me about these great places they do, they go to, and they're going to London and doing all these things, and they're building, it's like working at Google and all this. And man, just, but they're isolated and they're lonely. And you think, man, you live in New York, you'd be surrounded by people, there's people everywhere. It's the city that never sleeps. And they feel isolated. You can be in the midst of lots of people and be isolated. I think one of the most dangerous things about being at a big church is it's really easy to be lonely in a big church. It's really easy to slip in and just kind of go unnoticed and then slip out. You can be in community. You can have a community group and be lonely. Loneliness, you know, affects everyone. One of the reasons loneliness and isolation is sad is because we all want someone to comfort us in our time of need. We all want someone to comfort us when we're in a jail cell, right? Not just a literal jail cell, but we all want someone to comfort us. That's why he says in this text, they had no one to comfort them. They have no one to comfort them. Comfort here in this verse, in the Hebrew, it's the opposite of loneliness. In the Hebrew, it has this idea of care and protection. These friends aren't just Facebook friends. These aren't just guys in your office that they say, how's your day? And you go, great. These are guys that that you're doing life with. These are real friends. These are people that know the real you. These are people who care and protect you. Do you have people that care for you? and protect you, and look out for your best interests. See, loneliness affects everyone. You and me can affect everyone. And there's really three, there's a lot of ways, but Solomon looks at three ways in this text, and he goes, here's three ways that loneliness can get you. Three ways that Satan can trap you in loneliness. And get this, the first one is envy. Envy and greed keeps us isolated 
and lonely. Look at verse four. It says, then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And this was a vanity and a striving after the wind. He says, it's envy. Envy can separate us. What is envy? Envy is we want what other people have. You know, envy and greed is this thought that other people are gaining more from life than we are, and it leads us to compete with them, to, to get what they have, to, be, um, to not be content with what we have. It causes us to isolate ourselves from others. Greed makes us do really stupid things. Greed is the reason that I found myself in jail. So I'll tell you, I'll be really transparent with you this morning. So what I would do is, is um, this was about, I guess, 15 years ago, I, I would write checks and I, would, I was on commission. I was in outside sales, corporate sales, B2B sales, and I would write checks. I would think, well, I'm going to get this really big commission check next week and then I'll pay for this. And I, was, I had no savings. I was going out, blowing all my money, doing whatever I could do to impress people that didn't even really like me, wouldn't even come and help me in my time of need. And just, just out of control, trying to impress people. I don't know if you've ever been there. People impress people that don't even, I don't even know where they are today. And I wrote a check for a watch. It was a tag watch. And I wrote a check for this watch. And I go, well, I'll pay for this watch next week. Well, the money didn't come in next week. And then, it, then that turned into a warrant for my arrest. You get arrested for that. And I was with my wife, who is my wife now, in the car, my little brother. And I got pulled over and, and got sent to jail, right? Imagine going to jail like, hey, what are you in for? Uh, I killed somebody. What are you in for? I wrote a bad check for a watch. Like, I was even jealous of other people. You know, like, it was a dumb thing to be in jail for. It was, but it was envy. It was greed. I wanted what I wanted so bad what other people had that I was willing to break the law. I was willing, willing to get in trouble for it. That's how crazy envy is. Envy robs us of contentment. It robs us of thankfulness. It robs us of relationships. You know, I remember when I first got into ministry, I worked at another church and I, had a fr- and I was going to seminary, getting a master's degree. And I had another friend who didn't even go to college. He didn't even go to undergrad. And I saw him go up kind of the corporate church ladder. He was getting the jobs that I wanted at church. And I remember being jealous of him. I couldn't celebrate what he was doing. I couldn't go, man, I'm so glad that you had that awesome job that, you're, that God's using you to do all these things. All I remember thinking was, man, I'm so jealous that I don't have that. I'm so envious that I'm paying all this money to go to school, doing something that, like when I graduate, you're already doing it. And you don't even have the student loan debt. Like that's what I was thinking. I couldn't even celebrate with him. And it hurt our relationship for a number of years. You know, envious, envy and greed will rob us of relationships. You know, what are you today? Who are you envious of? What are you jealous of? Is it someone's job, their, their car, their house, their ministry, their, their title? You know, envy and greed will rob you and kill you of relationships. You know, what's real quick, a cure for greed, by the way, if you struggle with that like I do, a cure for greed and enviness is thankfulness. So every time I begin to get jealous of someone or envious of someone, and I, I just begin to, to, to thank God for things in my life. And it's really hard to be envious and thankfulness at the same time. And so if you're like me and you struggle with that, you're looking for a cure, then just begin to write out things that you're thankful for. Hey, God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Um, a second thing that Satan will use to keep us lonely and isolated in verse 5 is laziness. It says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. The, the Hebrew there is, a better translation is, a fool folds his hands and ruins himself. The idea is sloth. The idea is self-destruction. It's, it's laziness. You know, laziness is a relationship killer. 
You know, because of sin, we're all wired to drift towards isolation and pull away from others. If, if life was a lazy river and you were on the tube and you kicked your, you know, your feet up and you let the current take you where it will, it would take you to isolation. It would take you to just want to veg out, to isolate, to not let people in. That's what we're wired to do. You see it all throughout the Bible. Great men of God isolating themselves. You see it in the first few pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve, the first thing they do, the first response they have is to hide their self behind some bushes. You know, like we're, we're wired to isolate and we have to fight against it. You know, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's early, so I feel like we can be honest with each other. I, I, I never like coming to church on Sunday. Like I always feel like putting on my pajamas, going to get donuts and just like vegging out. Like my alarm goes off. I'm like, oh man, I can watch this online. And then, but really by watching online, I mean, just have it on while I do a bunch of other stuff. Like, like, and I have to fight against that. I'm, I'm the lead, we're the leader of our house. And I got to get up and say, hey, Ab, kids, let's get up. Man, we're going to church. We're going to go be with God's people this morning. Like, let's go do this. Tuesday night, we have community. Let me tell you something, okay? Is anybody in my community group? Like, I, I, I work at a church, right? So at five o'clock, I got there early. We have an early meeting on Tuesday. I got other meetings. And by 5.30, I'm like, man, I'm really kind of done with church stuff, right? And then I got to go home, get our kids ready, and then go to our community group that's going to go till like 10 o'clock at night. And, that, and I always tell them, I'm like, man, I always hate the drive to community, but I love to drive home, right? I'm always glad I went. But I'm gonna be honest with you, man, I'm tired. I'm tired like you are. And I wanna just, I wanna just put on Modern Family and just watch it and just hang out, eat a hamburger. You know what I mean? Thursday night, tonight, the guys in my community group get together. I, I've been here early. I don't wanna go to the place we're gonna go tonight. I'm gonna be honest. Man, do you guys ever get like that? But I have to fight against it because laziness is a relationship killer. Laziness, I, if, if I'm prone to just sit at my house, then I'm not gonna build the kind of friendships and relationships that are gonna help me. So we gotta fight against laziness. You know, a cure for laziness, by the way, is accountability and priorities. It's asking people in your life, you go, hey, I want to have friends. I wanna have deep friends. Would you help me? Would you help me? And when you see me begin to be lazy, you know, when you see me, um, you know, just wanna check out on Sunday mornings and go get donuts and stay home, like, man, call me out on that. Help me fight against that. Um, the third thing, the last thing we're going to look at is busyness. Busyness. Um, look with me at six through eight. It says, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with the riches. So he never asked for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and a striving after the sun. Have you ever, you ever stopped and, and, and like this, this is, this one is for me. You know, our own schedule keeps us isolated. And, and if you want to see what's important to you, if you want to see what's valuable to you, they say, open up your checkbook. I agree with that. But I think another key litmus test is open up your schedule. Open up your schedule. You know, if you want to see what you really value, open up your schedule. You and I, we, we have to say no to some things so that we can say yes to great things. We have to say no to some things so that we can say yes to great things. And this is a really big struggle of mine. You see, because I, I'm, I, I'm by nature a people pleaser, okay? My name is Rick Smith. I'm a Christian that's a people pleaser. I also enjoy helping people out. I also genuinely really enjoy my job. So you put those three things together and I can say yes from here to tomorrow. I could be at this building from four in the morning till midnight and never see my family and do it for the cause of Christ. I mean, it's really easy when you work at a church to go, hey babe, I'm doing this for the kingdom. Like, you, like I don't wanna be that way. 
I don't want to miss out on my kids stuff because I'm at the church, right? I don't want to let this place steal from my family. And so I've always got to ask people in my community, in my life, my boss at Watermark, I got to say, hey, if you ever see that in me, will you let me know? Will you help me? And they're helping me. I don't know about you guys, but, it, but it's easy to let busyness kill our relationships with our close friends, with our community group, with our family. We've got to fight against that. We've got to fight. We don't let our jobs, our ministries steal us away from our families. Our families is our number one ministry, by the way. Um, and so man, we, we've got to fight against that. Busyness, busyness is a relationship killer. It, it can make you feel busy. Do you ever feel like in life that you're going from one appointment to the other? Like, like you live your life like, man, what am I doing? I'm going from one appointment to the other, to the other, to the other, and there's no rest. You don't feel connected. Like we got to slow down sometimes. This is, a bit, this is the one of these three things, envy, lazy, and this, this is the area I think I struggle in the most. Maybe you can identify one that you really struggle with and talk about that in your group. Envy, laziness, or busyness. But man, I've got to slow down because busyness, uh, and the cure for busyness is saying no. You know, what thing this morning do you, what good thing this morning do you need to say no to so that you can say yes to a greater thing? You know, myself included. And so we, we talked about how, how Satan keeps us lonely. I'm gonna give you a couple other things is what is the cure to all this? What is the God's ultimate cure for loneliness? Now, I, I thought really hard about this, okay? Really hard. I'm gonna give you something really winsome. You ready? This is really deep. Write this down. You ready? Here it is. It's coming. Get some friends, okay? This is deep. Get some friends. Look with me though. Look with me. Look with me at verse nine. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, the wisest person who ever lived, the person who had more money than you, more houses than you, more everything than you said, hey, You've got to have friends. And I don't just mean MySpace friends. I don't mean real world MySpace friends. I mean real, deep, intimate relationships with another guy that really knows you. This is, the, this is the area of my life where God really changed me the most is when I got into community with others. After I got arrested, I moved to Houston, got away from my, my, from my friends that were here that weren't really my friends and, and kind of started over. And, I, and by God's grace, got into an apartment with a guy who was a worship leader at a Second Baptist Church in Houston. And I ended up literally moving into an apartment with all these Christian guys. There was two guys, and at one point we had another guy, and it was just crazy. And it was the first time that I ever experienced real community. Guys who loved me enough that they wouldn't just let me stay where I was at. Guys who loved me enough to speak truth in my life, and guys that I loved enough that I trusted with my life. You know, it wasn't easy, but it was necessary. You know, do you have guys... You know, like that, one of the biggest lies from Satan as we finish is this, is that we don't need each other. You know, one of the biggest lies from Satan is that you can do it on your own, that you can live life on your own. Spoiler alert, you can't live life on your own. You were designed, look at me, you were designed by God to be in relationship with other people. And if you're not in relationship with other people, your life is going to be a mess. You are gonna be depressed. You, you are gonna spin out of control. And if not today, tomorrow. You were designed by the creator of the universe to be living in relationship with other people. And you may pretend for a little while that everything is all together, but eventually it'll fall apart and you'll have no one to call. 
You'll be like me sitting in a jail cell. Your jail cell may be prescription medication or some other sin. And you're going to say, man, I wish I would have had someone to call. And so what do you do? You get some friends. You get some friends. I'm going to give you a little litmus test. Two things that you can check, you know, to know, hey, do I have real friends? Are my friends Facebook friends or real friends? I call this, you can be you, the messy house test. You know, when we first started our community group, we invited them over. We spent like 18 hours cleaning our house for this community group. And I'm like, Ab, we don't really live like this. You know, like, she's like, we got to clean it, like cleaner than clean. So we cleaned up, they came over, but like every other time they came over, our house got significantly like one step dirtier to where, you know, it was like, eventually they were your real friends, you know? And so like, you didn't have to clean it all up. You could be you, all your cars were on the table. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You got friends that if they come over, you have to clean it all up, but you got other friends that you go, Hey man, I'm just, I don't have to do all that. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to clean it all up. I'm not talking about first date friends. I'm talking about friends that you can really be you. You can put all your cards on the table. Man, there is such freedom when you have friends that love you for you, that know the real, the real you. The other one I, I call is the 2 a.m. test. You know, these are the friends that you could call at 2 a.m. if you needed help and they would come. You know, I made that call to jail and I didn't have anyone that would help me. I made another call in my life. And when our first son, Noah, was born, we found out three hours after he was born that he was born with Down syndrome. That was unplanned. We had no idea that was coming. Um, it, I felt like I got hit in the, in the heart, punched in the heart. I couldn't understand why God would allow that to happen. I was scared. I felt alone. I felt like I was in another prison. Um, and I walked out in the hallway, and this time I had people to call. You know, this time I had community. This time there were people on the other end of the phone that listened to me. Um, I have a picture up here. This is our first time I held our son. And, um, and I was scared, man. And I called my friend, John. He was the first person that I called. And I, I, when I called him, I didn't say, hey, John, this is Rick. I got an unspoken prayer request. Can you pray for me? Hey, 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 John, this is Rick. I know all things work together for the good of those who love him. Man, I hope you're having a good day. See ya. I called him, man, and I grieved. I called him and I said, John, I, I don't know what God has in store. I, I don't know what to do, John. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Can you help me? I need help, man. And he goes, Rick, I don't know what to do, but we'll get through this together. Man, do you have friends like that that you could call? Do you have friends when it hits the fan that you could call? When the bottom drops out? When you feel like no one's around, no one's there to help you? Do you have friends that you can call? Because that's what Solomon's saying here. He's going, man, you need to have friends like that. I wish I could share a text message with you that I got at 5.30 this morning. 5.30 5.30 this morning from a dude in my community group that's like, man, I need some help. I mean, he, and he, and he, man, will you pray for me? Do you have someone that you could text at 5.30 in the morning they wouldn't kill you, you know? Man, do you have somebody like that? Because if you don't, you are missing out. Listen to me. The dumbest decisions that you will ever make in your life, the dumbest decisions that you will ever make in your life will be decisions that you made in isolation. The decisions that you make that will ruin your life, destroy your family, and hurt other people are decisions that you make in isolation. You are not meant to live alone. And so today, you may feel trapped. You may feel like you're in prison. And today is the day. Today is the day to raise your hand and say, man, I need help. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to sweep things under the rug anymore. I don't want to keep secrets anymore. I don't want to be envious and lazy and busy. I need help. This is where you do it. If not the church, where? This is where you do it. So today, man, I want to challenge you. I want to really challenge you. 
you know, there was a, another guy in my community group, we were sitting around and, and the guys were sitting around and they said, man, I'm, I'm glad to be in a group where we have all of our cards on the table. We have all of our cards on the table. And one guy said, hey, I got to tell you something. I don't have all my cards on the table. I want to tell you some things. And he told us, and then he goes, man, I got freedom. You know, you don't want to be the guy that everyone's got all the cards on the table and you're still hiding and concealing. If you want true freedom, if you want real freedom, you get, you get over that. So I want to challenge you today in your groups to really share. Don't just nod, say, uh-huh, everything's fine. Man, share, open up. Because you're going to walk out of here, you're going to miss out on what God wants to do in your life if you don't. And so I want to encourage you today to do that, to open up. Because loneliness affects everyone. And Satan, let me tell you, Satan, what he wants to do is isolate you. He wants you to feel like you're the only person that struggles with whatever. And that's a lie from hell. And we, God wants to give you freedom. And pray. God, we do thank you for your word. Man, we thank you that your provision for us is community. Your provision for us is friends who love you and that love us and will point us to your word and help sharpen us and help encourage us. And they'll be there when we're down to pick us up. And I, I pray for friends here today that I know are missing out on that. That they come in here, man, and they, and they sit and then they go to work and they feel trapped and they feel like there's no way out. And I, I, I pray through your spirit that you would help them this morning to know there is a way out. That you've given us friends, real friends, deep friends, not just MySpace friends. That you've given us friends that we can really be us with. And I pray that you would help friends here today that don't have friends like that to get some friends like that. I pray you'd help us to fight against enviness and laziness busyness and that you'd help us to to pour into other people and build relationships that uh, can help us to grow to be more like your son and we need you to do that we pray that in jesus name amen